Church. Today we continue our series uh, on the Sermon on the Mount as we begin it. We began it last week. We continue it today on this kind of sub-theme of the book of Matthew, the, the Sermon on the Mount of Kingdom Counterculture, that the culture of the kingdom of God is radically different than the kingdom of this world. And so this kingdom counterculture is uh, what Jesus focuses on as he gives uh, this kind of directive of what does life look like in the kingdom? What are the values of the kingdom? And so last week we looked at kingdom character with the Beatitudes. Today we look at kingdom influence with these analogies, these metaphors of salt and light. So I'm a child of the 90s, and so I grew up with 90s Christian music, and DC Talk was one of my, fa- my uh, favorites. Any DC Talk fans out there? Oh, we need to expose you to some 90s Christian music. It's some interesting stuff. But one of the great quotes in one of the songs by DC Talk said this, the greatest single cause of atheism in the world is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their mouths, but deny him with their lives. That's a hard-hitting statement, isn't it? That the cause of atheism, the cause of unbelief among the world today, among atheists, is not so much that they don't believe, but that they see people who profess, but don't live according to it. This is not just uh, happenstance, but it is one of the greatest hindrance to kingdom influence. It's usually not the world and the pressures from outside, but rather Christians themselves. This is often caused for a couple of reasons. One of them may be due to acting inconsistently with the character of the kingdom, i.e. acting badly. Often this is due to unbelief that the ways of the kingdom will actually bring influence and change. Pastor and commentator John Stott said it this way. He said, the very notion that Christians can exert a healthy influence in the world should bring us up with a start. What possible influence could the people described in the Beatitudes that we looked at last week exert in this hard, tough world? What lasting good can the poor and the meek do, the mourners and the merciful, and those who try to make peace, not war? Would they not simply be overwhelmed by the flood tide of evil? What can they accomplish whose only passion is an appetite for righteousness and whose only weapon is purity of heart? Are not such people too feeble to achieve anything, especially if they are a small minority in the world? What Stodd is saying is many times we don't think that the ways of the attitudes and the character of the kingdom will actually bring influence because we are so accustomed to the ways that the world brings influence that to look at the character of Christians and what Jesus says brings influence, we might say, that's crazy. That will never work. And so there is this idea that 
this will never work. We can't live that way and cause influence. And so we have to live according to the ways of the world. So that's one way that sometimes kingdom influence is hindered. But another way, and what we will be looking at today, is not being who we are as salt and light. Not engaging the world in a kingdom influence way. And this morning we want to look at these two metaphors in order to be kingdom influencers. People that are unique and different than unbelievers. People who stand out and make a difference because they are different. As you will see this morning, we are not to be like the world. We are to be different. We are different. And the moment we cease to be different is the moment we lose our influence. So let's look at these two. There's some very simple sermon notes in your bulletin, but there will be more, um, or more words, more descriptors up on the screen this morning. So let's look at this first idea, this first metaphor. You are the salt of the earth. This is an action of moral influence in which the believer, in which the people of the kingdom restrain decay. The people of the kingdom, as kingdom influencers, restrain decay. Jesus says, you are salt. Christians, in what Jesus is saying, are like preserving salt. Commentators have presented various ideas of what Jesus meant by using this image of salt. They've said that, yes, we are to be people who flavor the culture around us. We are to be people who bring healing. We are to be people who purify. But the best understanding of what Jesus is talking about is that we are to be preserving agents of culture. In Jesus' day, refrigeration just wasn't a thing. Electricity wasn't something that had been harnessed, so they didn't have a refrigerator to throw meat in when they meant, went to the market. And so in the, the climate of the day, you couldn't just leave meat out. You had to do something to preserve it because as it was exposed to the warm temperatures, as it was exposed to the sunlight, decay would come to this meat. There wouldn't be much to eat at mmm because it would all go bad without a refrigerator. So they had to figure out a way to deal with meat, to keep it from decaying. And so without refrigeration, preservation using salt was the primary means for restraining decay in the meat, for preserving it. And salt coming in contact with meat was proved to be a quite effective way when it was rubbed in and when it was used as a curing agent it would do amazing work, and still does today, salt curing meat to prevent decay. And oftentimes it would last for months that way. And so what Jesus is saying is this is who we are. We are preservers of the earth. Because salt is a preserver. And it's needed because the earth is decaying. Jesus says you are the salt of the earth. The earth physically, we know from, uh, from the book of Romans, is decaying as a result of sin. It's crying out, Romans 8 says it's crying out. The earth is crying out for its redemption. Sin has brought this curse upon the earth, and so the, the earth is decaying. 
But not just the physical earth is what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about the earth in the sense of human society. Romans chapter 1, if you would turn there with me, gives a chilling and descriptive view of society today. Romans chapter 1, beginning in verse 18, helps us to see society, helps us to see the earth in decay, what this decay looks like. And as, as we read it, think about the world that we live in today. And when we read about this, don't just think of it in terms of, oh, this is America. But this is a human society. This is a worldwide description of what happens when Christians do not influence. What happens, what is our natural decay due to sin? Romans chapter 1, verse 18 says, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godliness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth. This decay of society begins with a suppressing of the truth, the truth of God, by their wickedness. Verse 19, since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. The heavens declare the glory of God. We see around and we see that there is a God who has created and has given order. And we see then from his word that there is truth that is revealed. Generally, the truth of God in all of creation and especially the truth of God in the scriptures. And so this moral decay of human society, of, of human life, begins with a suppressing of the truth, a denying that there is a God. And when you deny that there is a God, when you deny that there is right and wrong, when you deny that there is order in all of creation, well, then the floodgates begin to open. Verses 21 to 23 tells us, For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles." Worship, instead of being directed towards God, begins to be directed towards creation. The floodgates continue to open in verses 24 to 27. Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts for sec or, or to sexual impurity, for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They, they exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator, who is forever praised. Amen. And because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relationships with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed indecent acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their perversion. The suppressing the truth, denying God, denying the thinking that comes from the truth of God, opens the floodgates for worship of all kinds of things, including sex and including the, the human body. And so there is all kinds of sexual perversion. 
that exists as a result of the decay of human society because of sin. Men with women, women with women, men with men, the floodgates open, there begins to be nothing that is off limits sexually. We see that continuing to uh, increase more and more, just small steps open up this wide, slippery slope before all of a sudden anything sexually goes. We see the decay all around us. We see this decay continue in depraved minds and thinking in verse 28 through the end of chapter 1. Furthermore, they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God. He gave them over to a depraved mind to what ought not to be done. They had become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They are senseless, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. Do you think Paul had a pretty good description of the decay of our world? (laughs) All you have to do is watch the news. All you have to do is think about the world around us, and this nails it. There is nothing that is untouched in the brokenness and the decay of moral behavior and moral belief and understanding. The earth, human society, is decaying. As I said, this is not just an American problem, though we see that as Americans, but it's a humanity problem. Decay fills the earth. Decay fills society. In the face of this, Christians are like preserving salt. And so, Christian, you and I must remain pure. Jesus says, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be trampled out or thrown out and trampled by men. Salt is one of those compounds that chemists tell us are is one of the most stable. Sodium chloride is one of the most stable chemical compounds on the face of the earth. But it is possible, Jesus says, for this stable compound to lose its saltiness. So, Mary, can you taste that and just confirm to us that it is, in fact, salt? Yes, okay. it is salt. It is salt. Okay, it has been confirmed. The stable compound, sodium chloride, Jesus says, can become unsalty. How is that? Is it because it comes in contact with meat and all of a sudden it loses its saltiness? It comes in contact with it and it loses its ability? No. What happens is it becomes filled with impurities. And as these impurities 
as we begin to look at things like the Sermon on the Mount, as we begin to look at things like the character of the kingdom, and we look at it and we say, blessed are the poor in spirit, that can't work. You have to be able to bring something to God. Blessed are those who mourn because of the brokenness of their sin. That can't work. People who admit their brokenness, they're weak. Blessed are the meek. Those who are gentle are going to be the influencers. No, it's the powerful. It's those who get things done. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. No, that's not how it works. You have to hunger and thirst for power and strength and greed and money and all of these things if there's ever going to be change. Blessed are the merciful. Are you kidding me? Giving mercy to people who deserve to be punished? How in the world will that ever bring change? Blessed are the pure in heart. Sometimes you got to get your hands dirty to get something done, and that may mean that you're not living in purity, right? That's the way business happens. That's the way stuff changes. That'll never work. Blessed are the peacemakers. Don't you know these people don't want peace? We have to get our way. We have to allow division. Blessed are those who are persecuted. Blessed are those who are persecuted. This will never work. All of a sudden we begin to filter in these ideas of the world and say the ways of Jesus will never work. The ways of Jesus, he doesn't know what he's talking about. We have a better idea. And so begins to be mixed in there these worldly ways. And then sometimes we get influenced by the culture instead of being the ones who influence the culture. And the sin comes and we begin to be people who look no different than anyone else. We begin to be people whose sexual ethics look the same, whose gossip and slander is no different who's greed and envy and all of these things. And Mara, would you taste this? Can you confirm that this is salt? No. <laughs> Just for those of you watching at home, she did not taste that. I don't know why she didn't do that. See, the salt is still there. But what happened to it? It lost its influence because it got mixed with all kinds of impurity. It lost its distinctiveness. It lost its ability to be unique. It began to look like the very decaying society that it was supposed to influence. It did not look any different. It ceased to be salt. It became a muddy, dirty, yucky mess. No person in their right mind would put that on their meat. Friends, the moment we cease to be distinct, the moment we say that that character of the kingdom will never bring influence. The moment that we allow sin to be present in our lives is the moment that our influence begins to decrease. The moment that we lose our effectiveness 
to restrain the decay that we have been put here to restrain. So what does this look like if we were to summarize this? Influence in the kingdom means restraining moral decay in society. The influence of the Christian is to restrain decay. But to do this, we have to retain our saltiness. Because if we don't, we'll be useless, Jesus said. We also have to be present in the world. Just as salt has to be actually rubbed into the meat to preserve it, so we have to be present and engage the world to be rubbed in. Now, I think we all understand that if we are really salt, coming in contact with a decaying world, there's going to be some sting that's going to happen. There's going to be some pushback that's going to come from a decaying world. Decay will not like salt. It's going to push back. And this is why Jesus said, blessed are the persecuted. We must be willing to receive it rather than stand up and say, hey, you're stepping on my rights. No, they're just reacting to the salt. So often we want to be people who be like, hey, that's not nice. You are not treating me well. I'm standing up for my Christian beliefs and you're not treating me well. Guess what? This is what Jesus said. When you are salt, you're not going to be treated well. And so often we stand up to say, oh, you got to start treating me well when decay is not going to treat salt well. It's going to push back against salt. It's going to say, I don't like salt. This stings. This isn't nice. I don't want this. Get away from me, salt. Jesus says, blessed are you when the salt interacts with the decay and causes some sting. Can I encourage us to be wise in how we do it? To ask the Lord in situations that come to us where it may mean taking a stand in a hard situation in a decaying world, Lord, what is the wise way to approach this? What is the best possible way for the sting to be received? Sometimes people will come in and be so strong. And what is being reacted against is not so much the salt, but the way in which the salt is applied. Sometimes it's worn as a badge of honor of, look, I'm doing it well. And meanwhile, it may be our delivery and our way of applying the salt is what is being reacted against more than the salt itself. We must be gentle, loving, and merciful. You can harshly pound salt into a piece of meat. But in doing so, you can actually damage that piece of meat. Or you can gently massage the salt into that piece of meat. Think of it too as a doctor. You need stitches. And it's going to hurt to get those stitches, even with the numbing agent. A good doctor will come along and say, how can I do this best? 
He'll talk you through it. Hey, this is going to sting. There's going to be some pressure. It's going to pull a little bit here. Be ready for this. I'm about ready to go and to put the needle through. I'm going to pull the suture through. Be ready for this. This is what's coming next. A good doctor knows he's going to bring some sting. He's going to bring some pain. But what's going to come on the other side will be good. A doctor could do that job and just yank on you and push on you and not worry about the extra pain that he's causing. Or he can be gentle. He can be loving. He can be merciful in bringing the pain that will bring the healing. Friends, as much as we need to be salty, restraining decay, may I encourage us that we would also be wise and loving and merciful in the way that we apply our salt to a world and decay, so that it has the best chance of being received and of healing and preservation come to a broken world. You are the salt of the world intended to restrain decay. Second metaphor that Jesus gives is light. You and I were called to be the light of the world to illuminate the darkness. Verses 14 and 16. As much as salt is about action and deed, illuminating darkness is about speaking the good news of the gospel. Christians are light. Jesus says, you are the light. Comparable in this passage, he says, a city on a hill cannot be hidden, comparable to this city, up on a hill, lit. I love the times that I've had the opportunity to fly in an airplane at night when you are flying through and you see on the map where you are and you realize, oh, that light, that big cluster of light over there, that's the city. And as you come and you're flying along, oh, now we're passing this city and now we're passing this city. Coming back from a conference I went to last March in Florida, we flew into uh, JFK in New York. And so we flew over Times Square, over all of lower Manhattan, coming around through the Bronx. It, It was amazing to see the city at night. And whether you are a couple thousand feet or 36,000 feet, cities at night cannot be hidden. And Jesus says, You are the light. And it's because of John chapter 8, verse 12. In your bulletin, that scripture is there. Because Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Jesus, because he is light and lives in us, he makes us light. Christians are light. And the reason that we are light is because the world is dark. Just as the earth is decaying, So Jesus says, the world is dark. In darkness, there isn't vision. There isn't direction. There isn't understanding. There isn't hope. The world is a dark place. While full of physical light from the sun during the day and the moon at night and the power of electricity with lights all over the place, though there is light... In the world, spiritually, the world is a dark place. 
And it is desperately in need of light. Jesus in verses 15 to 16 says, Neither do people put a lamp or, or light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Christians, we must not hide our light. Christians must not hide their light. We must be careful not to hide it. After all, a city on a hill cannot be hidden. I love this picture from World Relief. The city nestled in a mountain. That city is never going to be able to be hidden. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Jesus gives another example of the light of the world. He says, neither do people light a candle or light a lamp. And then decide that they're going to put it under a bowl. But instead, they find a stand for it. So that everyone in the house is able to see it. So that it gives light and illuminates the darkness. And though the light may be bright at first for a dark world, think about being in a dark room or waking up in the middle of the night having to go to the bathroom. Everything is dark. You know kind of the way to go. You're fumbling around until you find that light switch and you hit the light and then what happens? Ah! It's a shock at first. But as your eyes adjust, the light illuminating the darkness becomes your friend. This is what Jesus is saying. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Eventually, they will praise God. So do not hide your light. What does hiding your light look like? It may mean being quiet or silent in the proclamation of the gospel. When you have an opportunity and the door is open for you to proclaim the good news of Jesus as Savior and Lord, you stay quiet. When someone's bad news is screaming to them and you have the opportunity to point them to the good news of Jesus, you Stay quiet. Or it may look like hiding away. It may look like separating yourself from the world. The world is a decaying place, right? The world is a dark place. And so there are some who will say the answer is to stay away, not to be influenced by the decay, not to be influenced by the darkness. Well, if we pull away... Who's going to preserve? If we pull away, who is going to bring light to the darkness? 
you are the light of the world. And the only way the light will come into the darkness is if you and I are present where darkness exists. So what does influence look like? Influence looks like bringing gospel light to society. The darkness of the world needs the light of the gospel. So faithfully proclaim the good news that Jesus is God's solution for the darkness. That he is the hope of the world. That he is the light of the world. That he is the way back to God. That he is when we don't have hope or direction, when we don't have vision, when we don't know which way to go, who do we turn to? We turn to Jesus. He is the light of the world. Faithfully proclaim the good news. The good news of Jesus. But also, as you bring gospel light to society, as I've already said, we need to be present. We cannot be afraid of the world. Not being influenced by the world too often has translated into being afraid of the world. We cannot be afraid of the world. We cannot live cloistered lives that have no interaction with unbelievers. Light has to be around darkness if it is going to have any effect on the darkness. We need to gather together as brothers and sisters in Christ. It's where encouragement comes. But we need to go to the darkness. We need to be present in the, in the decay. The salt and the light has to have influence, has to have interaction with the world if we are going to have influence in it. You are the salt of the earth and you are the light of the world. Prevent decay, illuminate darkness, be an influencer. It's who we are for the kingdom of God. Years ago, the communist government in China commissioned an author to write a biography of the great missionary Hudson Taylor. And the purpose of writing this biography was to distort the facts and to present him in a bad light. They wanted to discredit the name of this consecrated man who represented Christ and who shared the gospel so faithfully. As the author who was given this task was doing his research, he was increasingly impressed by Hudson Taylor's saintly character and godly life. And he found it extremely difficult to actually carry out his assigned task with a clear conscience. It bothered him so much that at the risk of, of losing his life, he eventually laid aside his pen, renounced his atheism, and received Jesus as his personal Savior and Lord. How about that for a testimony? That your life was so salty, that your life was so bright, that your character demonstrated Jesus so well, that even when you were 
intended to be discredited and lied about, your life still spoke volumes. Whether we realize it or not, our lives and our example leave an impression. Are we salty? Are we bright? As we would go to a moment of prayer together, I want to encourage us to think of all of this in this light. Uh, pardon the pun. So often we can hear messages like this. You are the salt, restrain decay. You are the light of the world, illumin, illuminate darkness. And we go home thinking this is what I have to do. This is what I need to do in interacting here or illuminating there. This is what I have to do. If you hear in any way, this is what I have to do, as in you, this is what you have to do, understand this. These things are not possible in and of yourself. You are salty because of Jesus. You are light because of Jesus. Not because you in yourself are salty. Not because you in yourself are bright. It is Christ in you. Certainly we have a role to play in this, a cooperation with God. There are steps that we need to act out in obedience. But ultimately it is about us. As we sang this morning, dying to self being changed from the inside out, shining not because we are shining brightly, but because we have surrendered ourselves and the light of Jesus is coming through us. This life is not because you did it so well. It's because you chose to die to yourself and you chose to join him in what he is doing in you and through you. Apostle Paul said in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but it is Christ who lives in me. The life that I live in this body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and who gave himself for me. Our role is to make sure that none of this character of the world is present. We want to confess those sins to him, to not allow the ways of the decaying world to have influence over us. We want to repent and confess those. Our role is not to be in charge, but to live in death to self and surrender so that Jesus shines through us. Please do not hear this morning, this is what you have to do. If anything, you get out of the way and cooperate with what he is doing. He makes you salty. He makes you shine bright. Do what he, does, what he is leading you to do and say what he's giving you to say. But you and I are, because of Christ, the salt of the earth and the light of the world. As we pray, just going to ask two questions for you to process with the Lord. 
let's go to prayer together. Father in heaven, we thank you for Jesus, the one who is perfect salt and light. And so Jesus, in these moments, I would ask by your spirit, is there anything that is keeping us from being salty this morning? Does our character have some things that you're wanting to continue to work on? Are there sinful habits or behaviors or values of this world that we continue to live according to that need to be repented of? Is our delivery a salt needing some attention. Holy Spirit, speak. And Jesus, as I sang in Sunday school growing up, This little light of mine, I want to let it shine. Let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Jesus, is there any ways that we have hidden the light? That we have kept it from a dark world? Holy Spirit, speak. And now, Abba Father, just as Jesus joined your work in the world, doing what he saw you doing and saying what he heard you saying, how are you inviting us to join you to be salt and light in the world? Would you give us, Lord, a person or a place or a way that we are to live out this identity and this influence in our everyday lives? Lord, would you seal these words that you have spoken and would you continue to speak as we sing, as we go about this week. Father, I bless your people with the influence that comes from you, Jesus, living through them by your spirit to be salt and light, to restrain decay in the world and to illuminate the darkness that the world would praise you, Father, for the good deeds that are done. In the name of Jesus, I pray these things. Amen.